0: This is Kyle McCord and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the W debate. Welcome to the W debate.
1: Alright, boys. Are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back, tonight. Explain yourself. Boy. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand, Samuel. <laughs> you jumped up and... That's off the
2: Who is going to be that guy? And for me, Bijan Robinson is still going to be that guy. Back to the ground with
1: Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're going to say stepped out, but I'm feeling sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name, one, Zach F. Wilson. Screen or draw? Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone, and he drops it in beautifully, and it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown.
0: That's Matt Brody. Scott Jr. Obviously, I whacked Poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this it's Fields on the carry,
1: watch out! Justin Fields Hello, 51 yards! Brunen, are you ready to go head-to-head with me?
2: I am. Gotta You're get all my all popcorn out here. Help.
0: Gotta continue. I gotta continue. Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. I'm well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. Our
1: apologies for Kirk Street. We ran out of time. We'll get you rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nate, I'm Felix Sharp. tonight, and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time, the only time zone to defeat Gonzaga. That means it's time for the Debbie Debate brought to you by campusdecant.com. That's Matt Bruning, that's Austin Nace, and I'm Felix Sharp on a vaccinated version of tonight's show. What do the experts have to say about Zach Wilson? A five-star wide receiver is on the move. And what to make of Dan Orlovsky's comments on Justin Fields? And stay tuned for a fun announcement regarding a special episode that you will not want to miss. But we start with Sam Darnold, traded from the New York Jets to the Carolina Panthers. Carolina gives up a 2021 6th, a 2022 second and fourth, Austin. Carolina got their quarterback of the future, right?
2: You know, it's it's really hard to say if if he's the quarterback of the future and I've heard convincing arguments from both sides since this trade went down, you know, 24 or 48 hours ago or whatever what it is at this point um so I, I'm not even sure what I think anymore about it. But I think regardless, it's a chance worth taking for Carolina. And that's why I like this for them. Because, you know, Teddy Teddy's making some money this year, but Darnold's not. And then next year when Darnold has to make some money, if he's good enough, then you can get rid of Teddy. So I think from a money standpoint, it works out really, really well for them. Beyond the business side of it, I think, you know, you get a year and then another, you know, the fifth year option with him if he's solid this year to kind of see what he can do. And I think it's good for him, you know, because he, New York was clearly going quarterback. I think, you know, new scenery for him. He's still young. He's like 23 years old. So I, I, mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks that are just coming out of college at 23 or, you know, just got done with their rookie year. He's been around for forever. I have a really hard time writing him off. I see people doing that just wholesale, you know, saying Sam Darnold stinks. I think that, is the only incorrect approach to this whole thing. I think it is very much a wait and see. Um, but like I said, I'm excited for him, for Carolina, you know, for New York even to, to get whatever new quarterback they're going to get in there. And then for some of the weapons that Darnold's going to have there as well.
1: You know, I, the thing I was struggling with is maybe this means that Carol Carolina was in the market for a quarterback. That There's no question that they wanted to upgrade at quarterback. It looks like they couldn't trade up to number four and that makes sense given that Atlanta has that spot and they not, Atlanta's not going to trade within the division. I have to believe that Carolina um, looked into trading up and just they weren't able to, and so you see at least one of the domino effects of that San Francisco trade is Carolina make, making a move for San, Sam Darnold Looks, it looks like they believe that they can't get a, a quarterback at number eight. There, uh, the current pick that they have, they didn't have to give up a first for Sam Darnold, which I, I have to believe is a good move. I just wonder if we're ever going to see Matt Rule paired with the quarter, like his first choice at quarterback. Um, Matt, do you like this move for Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, etc.? There's a lot of fantasy value on that Carolina team.
0: I do, because I think that offense revolves more around Joe Brady than it really does the quarterback. The way he schemes, uh, plays for all those guys, I have no doubt that Sam Darnold will go in there and be at least as good as Teddy Bridgewater, if possibly not a little bit better. So I don't think it really affects any of those guys. We've already seen Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson had pretty good chemistry when they were with uh with together at New York Jets. I mean, I don't doubt DJ Moore's talent. You are losing Curtis Samuel, which I think just allows Christian McCaffrey to shine even more. Now. I think that's why uh, we saw Samuel step up a little bit, obviously having a guy like Joe Brady there helped out, but then seeing Christian McCaffrey go down, they were able to use Curtis Samuel a lot more in the short area receiving game. So I, I think all three of them are going to be really good with Sam Darnold. I, I think it's a great move for both sides. I, I We've seen flashes of Sam Darnold, and I, I hate to throw it all on just one person and it being Adam Gase, but we've seen all of these players leave underneath Adam Gase and produce, and I've just seen enough flashes out of Sam Darnold to believe that there's something there, and I trust Joe Brady and what Matt Rule have done in their short time there at Carolina to possibly turn Sam Darnold around.
1: Speaking of flashes, does anybody remember Sam Darnold's first game? Anybody remember that? Who was it against? Sam Darnold's first game against, against, against Matt Detroit
0: against. Yeah. That was his
1: first pass. His yeah. first game against Detroit, he goes, he had that pick six, six his first pass. After that, he goes 16 for 21, uh, 76.19% completion percentage, two touchdowns in a 48 to 17 win in Detroit on Monday Night Football. I, well, I knew before that. <laughs> that Matt Patricia wasn't the dude. But when you come out getting smoked by rookie Sam Darnold and the Jets at home on Monday night football, and you're supposed to be this de- – they put up 50 points on Detroit in that game.
0: Didn't they almost um, make the playoffs that year, though? Detroit? With the Lions? No. Yeah, didn't they finish 8-8 eight and eight that year?
1: That's not almost making the playoffs. I don't know. I don't remember. I know, that's don't a Browns fan. His was. opinion
2: on that is skewed. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, come on, you know.
1: Bruning is uh is DJ Moore a wide receiver one with Sam Darnold at the helm?
0: Uh, no, he didn't finish as a wide receiver one last year. He actually finished. I don't even think he finished as a wide receiver two. He finished as wide receiver twenty five last year, if I'm remembering correctly. Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson both finished ahead of him, so I don't believe so. No, I think he's a high end two, but at, at best. But no, I don't think he's wide receiver one.
1: I wish I knew off the top of my head where he's going, where where he's being drafted. But I mean, I, I I'm still very high on DJ Moore. Austin, are you confident in in his upside? I mean, Burn finished at wide receiver twenty five. I can guarantee he's not being drafted as wide receiver twenty five. Now he's got to be no. being drafted much much earlier than that.
2: Well, I can just tell you from experience. I am in the middle of a C two C startup right now, and we're doing the NFL side first this week. Um, I took DJ Moore in the fifth round as my wide receiver one of this draft. And I'm just trying to quickly count up how many wide receivers went before him. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. So he was the wide receiver 14 in this draft. I think that's pretty fair. Um, you know, just looking at some of the guys that went ahead of him and I'm not, I'm not sure I would have taken him above any of them. So, um, I, I don't quite value him as a wide receiver. One, I think he's a really good player, but I think, as per usual, the, um, yes, and I made it myself, uh, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) there's there's a
0: lot of talk about uh, about Austin shirt on Twitter right now. He's. he's, I'm sorry that
2: I'm just trying to brighten. He's you know what we have going on here. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Um. I, I. I. As always, Twitter has kind of taken the DJ Moore has a lot of potential. And I think he's gotten bumped up a couple spots more than he probably deserves. I think he's a good player. I think he's a really good player. I'm just not sure. You know, he's and you know a true you know top tier year in year out wide receiver one like people expect him to blossom into. I just don't personally see that in his range of outcome.
1: All right. Enough about Sam Darnold, enough about the Jets. I I, I guess one final comment is I I think that this NFL draft is shaping up to be one of the more exciting NFL drafts that we've seen because of the quarterbacks up top. And it looks like it's going to be five. There's going to be a lot of wheeling and dealing. And quite frankly, I think we're going to see some be shocked and and surprised as to what happens. All this, if Mac Jones goes number three overall, I I mean, I'm going to be. I don't think that we're going to see that happen. I think that there is going to be a lot of surprises in this draft.
0: And hey, you catch all of us. uh, You catch all of us live doing that as well, reacting to Mac Jones going three over Justin Fields. uh, Because we will be live Thursday night.
1: Which I found out like when we tweeted it out that that we were. Well, that's because you don't
0: pay attention to any of the any of the stuff in
2: the in the Matt Matt, or Felix is lost in Slack just (laughs) perpetually. things are floating in space (laughs) and Felix sometimes grabs onto one as it comes by, but
1: that's that's true. It's it's very frustrating to try to figure out what's going on. All right, uh, from the Jets old quarterback to the Jets potential new quarterback. It's not potential, one of, he's the new quarterback. Let's just one of it. my favorite, one of my favorite players to watch this last football season and kind of track, of course. That's Zach F. Wilson. And man, I am heartbroken. Um, the Matt Waldman's RSP comes out uh, <laughs> on Thursday after we last recorded. And Matt, well, not only Matt Waldman, but JTL Sullivan, the former San Francisco 49ers, longtime quarterback, kind of a journeyman NFL quarterback. They both have taken like a flamethrower to Zach Wilson's game. I just want to quote something from the RSP, uh, just a couple of sentences. So the, 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 this is Matt Waldman's RSP, his, his NFL, his draft profile on Zach Wilson. Um, regarding his floor scenario. Now, Matt, well, Matt, Matt Waldman has uh Zach Wilson as the number six quarterback in this class below the likes of David Mills, Davis Mills. And he concludes if, if Zach Wilson cannot develop, this is a quote, cannot, can't develop a more complete game. He could be rendered a career backup or out of the league by 2025. If not earlier now, uh, both Waldman and JTO Sullivan have noticed that Zach Wilson, they essentially question his football IQ. He misses wide open reads and JTO Sullivan has uh, a game He's where he's watching the film of Zach Wilson's game against Houston, which coincidentally was pro football focus's highest rated game for him this season. And, there are just plays. I'll t- speak of two in particular where it's like, oh, that actually is bad. Where he's just mi- like missing, missing wide open guys who are sh- who through the p- structure of the play should be the first read, and he's not seeing them, seeing him. On one example, they're running a uh, a flea flicker, and there is a post and a wheel behind the post. There is no one within, I think it's Dax Maline is, is running the post on the flea flicker. There's no one within t- literally 20 yards of your first read. As JTO Sullivan said in the video, he could punt it. He could punt the ball to Dax and it would have been a touchdown. Doesn't see him opts instead for a jump ball TD to, uh, to Isaac Rex, which happens to be a catch. But we look at it as a great throw, a great play, but you don't see the full context. There is a second play in that Houston game. There's a third and 15 where they run four verts, and you've got the slot receiver running. This is like standard. They even do it in Madden. The slot receiver, if it's one high, they kind of run like a little post. If it's too high, they run a little a little bender uh, to get in the middle. That little slot, he's wide open It's the first down. Zach Wilson does not just doesn't see him. There was also two or three plays in that game that should have been intercepted. So Matt Waldman and Austin, I'm gonna throw this question to you because Austin, you've been holding like I saw when I when I tweeted earlier about Matt Waldman's conclusions about Zach Wilson, you were like, well I don't like him either. Well you haven't brought those to the doorstep so you're gonna to talk. To me. Oh you so, saw that. Oops. Yes, I did see that. Um, I'm scared. I'm scared. Uh, uh, the experts do not like Zach Wilson. They essentially, you know, p- people are questioning um, Justin Fields' work ethic. Well, we've got two experts, two well respected um, analysts uh, for a former NFL quarterback that are questioning Zach Wilson's competency to play the position. Austin, what is your reaction? <laughs>
2: Um, so my big thing with Zach Wilson, and it's always been my big thing with Zach Wilson, and I'm not on the level of analysts as JTO Sullivan or Matt Waldman or any of these guys. So I can't go as in depth as those guys do. But my big thing with with Zach Wilson is I do think he is a true gunslinger. Like I remember those, there's those stories of Brett Favre when he came into the NFL, he's like in his fifth year and someone was trying to, to ask him like what a nickel defense was or something. And he was, like didn't know what it was. Like a true, true gunslinger. And I just really question whether that can actually work in today's NFL, where everything has become so, um, you know, everything is focused now. And these guys come into college, like if these guys coming out of high school have done more, you know, between the camp circuits and the seven on sevens and all this stuff that they're doing 24 seven, they're probably more, you know, ready uh, mentally than a lot of guys were you know 20 to 30 years ago coming from college the nfl it's just a different game the expectations are different it's so more it's so much more cerebral you have to be an athlete and a thinker you can't just go out there and chuck it around and i just watched zach wilson and i've i've watched him and i think i've been consistent in saying this and I've, i've i think i even asked the question on the show once before i am not sure that a true gunslinger can work in today's nfl Because I can't think of a single true gunslinger that is in the NFL today. You can point to a Patrick Mahomes. I don't, you know, he can do a lot of cool stuff, but it's within a system and it's intelligence. Like you can, there is purpose behind everything he's doing. He's not backyard footballing it out there, like I think Zach Wilson is quite often. And that for me has been the big question: Can he rein that into a point where I no longer longer look at him and just say he's a gunslinger? And I don't know that he's, A, that type of player that he can do that, and, B, as we're seeing with Sam Darnold, that the NFL is willing enough to give him enough time to develop in that particular direction. So that, for me, is why I've kept Zach Wilson as my QB4 throughout this entire process, and that's where he is right now.
0: So I – the one thing I want to say what, with Austin just mentioned with Mahomes is even if you want to say Mahomes is a gunslinger, can we all admit that Zach Wilson is not on his level? Like that—that's the one thing that I hate, and I—I I have not liked. I think I like Zach Wilson more than Austin, but obviously not as much as Felix. So I feel like as much as we like to go back and forth about like the Wilson Fields debate, like realistically, like I know you don't have an issue with Justin Fields. You like Justin Fields. As a prospect, even though you like to give him a lot of crap, same thing with me with Zach Wilson. He's not on that level, though, and I agree with what Austin said, and I've said that before. The backyard football thing's not going to work in the NFL. It's just not. We've not seen it work with anybody but two players that I've seen. Now, I have not watched football. I don't have the memory that, like you two have sometimes. But I've seen it out of Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, and that's it. I have not seen it succeed for anyone else really. We saw it did not work that well for Kyler Murray this year. And he was trying to do that a lot. And something that JT Sullivan pointed out that I've brought up and, and Felix, you were kind of mentioning it there when you were watching the videos. Cause I watched some of it today after you sent it to me was, that was always my biggest concern with him. Not the missing wide open players. I didn't even notice that until he pointed it out on there. And that was hilarious. Seeing the dude just sitting there wide open, nobody near him and he could have punted it to him. But he makes too many risky throws, which I think is what Austin's pointing to with the gunslinger thing, like throwing into double triple coverage, which was great. The guys caught it, but that's not going to work on the NFL level. And that's something that JT Sullivan says in the videos too, is that stuff, your DB is going to intercept that on the NFL level. And that's what I've been saying. Like he's got a phenomenal arm, but he doesn't, he makes throws that I don't think will succeed on the NFL level.
1: I can't overstate how many quotes in Waldman's review that just hurt, like, really hurt me, too, Mike. Just, ow, just hurt. Like, Waldman, I think, if I remember correctly, if I recall, doesn't even believe he's a first or second-round draft, worthy of a first or second-round draft pick. And it's it really hurts when you have two analysts who aren't, they're not, JTL Sullivan and Matt Waldman aren't reading each other's work. They're coming to the same conclusions regarding a player. So, um... I mean, I, I'm going to move Zach Wilson down to number quarterback three.
2: He did not tell us he was going to do that for your show.
0: Let's go, Justin Fields!
2: Man, I would have worn my nice tie-dye shirt tonight if I, I knew you were going to do that. I
0: had, it, I had it ready. I was just waiting. Here we go. I'm sending it to your house, Felix. I'm, sending it. I'm not even keeping it anymore. Let's go!
1: Um, Here is a... Uh, Here's the good news for anyone who is who are Jets fan or anyone who is a fan of Zach Wilson. Waldman concludes that the only saving grace for Zach Wilson is if he's if he is in a wide zone ske- play action scheme. It just so happens that that is exactly um, the type of scheme that the Jets will be running, or the the obviously the 49ers will be running if he falls to the 49ers at number three uh, overall. Um, that is this is this is the saving grace for Zach Wilson. Um, I do I just I do want to just read this one I think last quote on Zach Wilson from Waldman's RSP. This is a quote regarding whether you should draft Wilson in rookie drafts. Waldman says quote, I'm not recommending you draft Wilson. It's best to trade out of the spot if you know someone who's enamored with him because he's not worthy of a top 30 selection in fantasy drafts and he'll be taken among the, among the top 24 options. I don't know if he's meaning uh, rookie drafts or like start, I don't know. All I know is that hurts. It hurts me right here in my chest uh, to basically say that that uh, Zach Wilson shouldn't be taken in the top 24. Um, I will see. I obviously would feel more comfortable about his development if he was with a with a Kyle Shanahan as opposed to Kyle Shanahan's protege in. Uh, I think it's Lafleur who's Mike running LeFleur. the. Yeah, Mike, Mike. Lafleur who's running the the run the running the Jets offense.
2: And just just All to right. throw this out there, I suspected that things were going to sour a little bit on Zach Wilson the further we got in the draft season. Especially once the talk like became that he was solidified as that second pick, because I think you know Trevor Lawrence is basically immune from the criticism at this point. I think we've you know whether we think that should be or not, that's just that's just flat out what's going on. So I figured we kind of move on to target number two. And after they were done with Justin Fields, I figured they were coming for Zach Wilson. I actually moved him in a Debbie league last like uh, 10 days ago or so. I traded him for Jameer Gibbs and some auction dollars. Um, we like a jameer gibbs and some auction dollars because i think a year from now you're gonna be lucky to get that for him yes yes I
1: moved I, i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna lie that i haven't thought about moving him but you not getting a quarterback in return um and that i mean in austin obviously i respect your opinion also so you trading him for jameer gibbs and auction dollars i mean god geez um
0: you know, there. The, the name fa- of this go episode ahead, ahead. Is, is the name of this episode is testing our faith and and Felix you're not you're not standing up very well to to what you believed in coming into this episode. In
1: in, in fairness to myself, there was once a, a, a an argument to be made for Zach Wilson at cost. He was a a. a uh, on waiver wires in most of your C2C leagues, people were not paying attention to him. I realized that I was actually, I had a, I was watching Zach Wilson the very first game last year against Navy. I even told people to, to check him out. Um, but that argument is lost now, now that he's going to be the number two pick in the draft or allegedly going to be the number two pick in the draft. And he's going to go very highly in your super flex leagues and all of your leagues. So he's not he first, he's not going to, he's not going to, um, fall to the saints, which is, I was like, oh, he's going to fall to the saints. When, 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 when San Francisco was at 11, I was like, okay, he could fall to San Francisco at 11. That doesn't appear to be the case unless the Jets shock us and take Justin Fields at number two. Um, Zach, you know, Zach Wilson, at least according to Waldman and JTL Sullivan, and I have to respect their opinions. It's going to be an uphill climb for him. It's going to be an uphill climb for him with his flaws, which they're essentially calling. I mean, they're calling him a tragic character in that he has a his game has a fatal flaw. And I respect those opinions, so I'm going to move him to my quarterback three. All right, um, and some other shocking news. Let's go back to college football. Bruning, and you had this. Uh, you, you, Bruning. You've got the inside scoop there. You mentioned to th- this to us before it became uh, uh, public news. G. Scott, the five-star wide receiver at Ohio State, I believe he was the, the number ten receiver in the class overall. If I'm, if I'm correct, a player who I really like. We have argued about G. Scott and whether or not he was ever going to play wide receiver for Ohio State, or if he was going to transfer, made the joke that he was going to transfer. He's now switching to tight end. We have this wide receiver, this five-star wide receiver, now switching to tight end. Bruning, talk to us about what led to this decision.
0: Well, I don't don't want to speak for fact because I haven't, like, specifically talked to G. Scott Jr. and said, hey, man, is this what just – I'll just say from what I've heard from other people – is that a lot of it came to they wanted him to drop to a certain weight and he was kind of holding steady right around like a 210, 215. Uh, and and it just kind of came to a point that he believes that the future of the tight end is those move tight ends, those guys that can can play offense, catch the ball. Uh, he was at uh, Felix, you know, because we talked about him, I think it was really the very first episode. We both kind of talked about how much we liked him. Very physical as a wide receiver. He was a very good run blocker as well in high school. So he already brings that talent to the college side of the game. And he's he's got a little bit of the size. Obviously, some people would like their tight ends to be a little bit bigger. And he's got to put on weight, obviously. I think the, the goal they want him to get to is about 235, 240. If he can get to that weight and hold that – and, and keep the athleticism that he's shown on the field, I think that he can become one of those next great tight ends. I don't want to put him up there with a, a Kyle Pitts or anything like that right now, but with his skill set, I think it fits very well into the offense as well because now you add in a very dynamic threat at the tight end position. You're going to have now Jackson Smith, the Jigba. Um, God, why can't I think of his name? The one who doesn't matter. Oh, Julian Fleming. I'm just kidding. He matters. Julian Fleming and then, it might be Marvin Harrison Jr. with the way he's he, already. He didn't lost.
1: switch positions, so. Uh,
0: black he well that's because he's he's gonna get beat up by Buka anyways. But Marvin Harrison Jr., who's already lost his black stripe and is now a, a Buckeye, you know those guys on the outside, and then you've got a G Scott Jr. as well there a tight end who can block and and can catch passes out on routes. So we've seen Jeremy Rucker. I think is a very undervalued tight end. Doesn't get used enough at the Ohio State program. So. I think he, he has a chance to be a really good tight end moving forward. Obviously, we will not see much of him this year, but I think coming to 2022 season, he could be a very sneaky grab, as we talked about in our news segment, actually, me and Austin did uh, for, for the network.
1: Austin, I smell PR spin here with Mr. Bruning. What's your, what's your take on G. Scott moving to tight end? We, <clears throat> we talked a
2: little bit about it on uh, Campus Life this week. Um, uh, Colin and I did. And we talked a little bit, obviously, in the news as well,, uh, Matt and I did. So, um <clears throat> my my thoughts on it are that i I like it, and I don't like it for him because I think, you know, he's he is a bigger guy. He's physical. He's aggressive, you know, he's all these things that could make him a great tight end. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure I've ever looked at him and thought, you know, he has the frame and the whatever to be a a really good move tight end. Because I don't think you can bulk him up any more than 235, 240. I just don't think you can. I think asking him to get to, you know, like a Michael Mayer 260 or 265 size or whatever is never, never going to happen with him. So at that point, you're saying, you know, you're expecting him to gain all this extra weight, maintain a good amount of athleticism and become this move tight end that we've seen sometimes work and some, a lot of the times they don't like your best case scenario is John Smith, maybe in the NFL and your worst case, you know, you could be an Evan Ingram or a guy like that, you know, um, we'll see what happens with Brevin Jordan this year. You just, they have to be in the right offense and be working with the right people to get the most out of those guys. And I still think he could have been a good receiver. I liked him more than Julian Fleming. So um, but Fleming obviously does, uh, he would, he, he would never have made this move. I, he, he would transfer before he did that in my opinion. So I, I like it from the perspective that Scott is you know, willing to do these things to get on the field and play at Ohio state. And that shows his football character and blah, 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 that kind of crap. Um, but at the end of the, you know, at the end of the day, I do question whether this is a sustainable move for him.
1: I mean, we haven't talked about G. Scott in a long time. Uh, we've got new listeners. This is a player that we've argued about very early on in the, in the beginning of this show, um, in the early episodes of this show. G. Scott, at least coming in as a freshman, was a 6'3", 210-pound route runner. I mean, you, I would put him up there with some of the best route running that I have ever seen. And at that size, I would compare him to Adam Thielen, as a matter of fact, that being at that side and being able to run routes as crisply as he did. Bruning, I argued with you. I said, given that wide receiver depth chart, he's not going to make it at that school. He's going to transfer. I think I'm right on that now, because now we've got G Scott. Hold on. We've got, hold on. We I said he's not gonna make it. We got we got nothing. He didn't have record a catch as a freshman. He's not gonna do a lot as a as a sophomore. So now we are crossing our fingers for a junior breakout at a new position and a new body type. I mean, if I've got G Scott in leagues and people don't have this news that he's gonna be a tight end. I'm trying to move him because I just don't see it working out for him. Quite, I just don't. And I would rather him have transferred or not have gone to Ohio State in the first place. I just feel. I feel. I, I don't. I've, I'm very. I'm. I am very pro. Uh, pro player. P- player. Pro. Pro player on this pro. Pro on this program. Get the bag. G Scott ain't gonna get the bag. He, he can't play in line, he's not going to play in line because he's not going to be um, necessarily heavy, heavy enough to play in line. So you got to hope that he is a, some sort of move tight end that can that can, um, you know catch on to an offensive coordinator at the next level and, and utilize his talents. Had he gone to another school, had he gone to another school, I think that G. Scott could have been a day one or day two draft pick, draft pick. In the NFL in in 2023, I, that's that's uh, that's out of the cards now. It's just out of the cards, and um, I, this is something that that I'm going to continue to talk about. And, and I mean, we're going to talk about it with Marvin Harrison Jr. With I mean, with him going to a stacked wide receiver class, and I just I think that Chris Olave coming back to school really hurt everyone. Everyone on that depth chart, including G. Scott, I I, I hate this for him. I hate this for him because as talented of a player as he is, I want to see those guys succeed. I don't care that they go to Ohio. I want to see them succeed. Quite frankly, it's better for fantasy football if we have more players succeed. And, I mean, I'll let you respond. I'm just afraid that he's not now. Quite frankly, I'm afraid that he's not now.
0: So I don't think that you're right, because you did say he was going to transfer. And he didn't transfer, and he may like switch positions. That's not transferring. He's still at the Ohio State University. Uh, that being said, uh, I know that you know him, because we've talked about him before. Um, his father, G-, G. Scott Sr., and you know his connection with the Seattle Seahawks and, and how smart he is around the game and everything else. There goes my mouse, so hopefully I don't click anything or hit anything. Uh, the one thing I will say is you said you're very pro player. He was the one that wanted to do this. So it's not like Ohio State came to him and said, hey, if you don't move to tight end, you're going to have to transfer out of here. Because I think if that was the option, he probably would have transferred, like you're talking about, say, hey, I want to see. He was the one that wanted to do this. I don't think he makes that decision without talking with his dad and figuring things out, figuring out what the best move is for him. If he truly thinks that's the best move for him, I can't argue that. I'm not him. He doesn't
1: make that decision if he has the opportunity at wide receiver. We don't if he has the that. opportunity at wide receiver, he's not going to say, "Oh, l- let me go play tight end." Austin, I mean, come on now.
2: No, this wasn't a. This is like saying, like you know, the people that like resigned from their job because they were going to get fired. Like it's the exact same concept, you, in my opinion. I mean, and I like fine. G Scott. I like G Scott. You know, it's just that's that's fine. the, that's I can the danger that. of going to these programs. I think Mookie Cooper did it right. You know, he saw the writing on the wall and he got out. And now look at all the hype Mookie Cooper's getting this offseason. Like he's he's blowing up. He's going to be the guy at Mizzou this year. I just think, you know, G-Scott could have done that. He could have gone, you know, there's what, 127 Division one football schools or whatever. He could have gone and been the guy at 115 of them next year, 110. You know, maybe that's a little bit high, but it, he, there's a heck of a lot of schools he could have gone to that that he he, he could have maintained what he had going on. I think that was a better move for
0: him. Right. I agree that he could have gone and done that. So that I think speaks even more to the fact that he he knows he could have done that. He chose to make the move that he made. They did not force him to make that move. That's my point. I I don't agree with that. It was, we all know where I I literally was listening to it on the radio today. They're about to pass that law. The, the, you get the one free transfer or whatever. So he knows that. So he knows he could have gone. And I agree with you. Even if you want to go on the short side and say a hundred schools, Even if you want to go 110, 150, he could go and be the guy at 100 schools. He knows that, too. There's no way he doesn't know that. Yet he still chose to stay and do this, which, again, speaks to him making that decision, not them forcing him, not, oh, hey, you're not going to be able to get any playing time at wide receiver, so if you want to go to tight end, we've got a spot for you. That's why I truly believe he made the decision, because the easier decision is to do what Mookie Cooper did. And I'm not trying to say Mookie Cooper took the easy way out. He made a smart decision for him. But I think we can all agree the easier decision would have been for G. Scott Jr. to go, hey, I'm transferring to, well, I'll just use Mizzou because that's where Luke Cooper went. I'm going to go to Missouri and be the number one there and become that number one or number two draft stock, draft round capital that Felix was just talking about. But he didn't. So I think that speaks more of to what G Scott Jr. wanted to do and that it was his belief that he can do that. And I'm not gonna doubt him because I believe in his talent as a wide receiver. I think he can be just as good as and I'm having issues with my computer now. I'm not even sure what's about to happen. So but I, I believe oh, that he God. can still be like a a round two or round three uh tight end now prospect in the twenty twenty-three draft or twenty twenty four if you wait till the twenty twenty-four season.
1: Austin, do you think Kyle McCord will be a round two or a round three tight end in the 20, in the twenty
0: twenty three? Beef play? him
2: up, baby. Beef him up. You know. Yeah, I will. Just to throw in, I'm sorry, Matt. You're so. First off, um, you sitting there, your face while we were both just going like hitting on G Scott was yeah amazing you're like a four-year-old kid that just got yelled at by his mom's because he was like running <laughs> around the mall and you're just well, like sitting there like you know i was
0: trying to, so was that, trying to be nice sometimes uh, i get it i get a little upset and you know i'm trying not to curse i know i know but, uh, sharp watches, so i'm trying to it, trying to keep my composure
2: but it, it sounds like um cj stroud won that job too you know we can revisit that once we have confirmation on that but um, yeah on april rep- 7th right am i reading rep- the calendar reports right? reports april have 7th. not you know he has they haven't been you know negative regarding mccord but they've been positive toward mr stroud so well
1: let's set the stage for the audience for we got new listeners here so ohio state loses justin fields they've got cj stroud who was a five-star quarterback coming in with the last class so he's there on he was there on campus last year uh ohio state recruits kyle mccord who we've interviewed on this show um, and so Kyle McCord is essentially competing with Jack Miller and CJ Stroud for the starting gig this year. What makes things dicey and interesting at Ohio state is that next year they, they get the Uber prospect. That is, um, uh, I forgot, I forgot. Quinn Ewers, Quinn Ewers, who is, is the best thing since sliced bread, but legitimately a very good quarterback prospect. So this spring, Whoever wins that job, it's a very it's a it's a it's a this it's a uh position battle that's going to have a domino effect. We're talking about Kyle McCord. I have said on this show, I don't think that he will ever start a football game for Ohio State. And now we see that CJ Stroud um is is according to reports is going to win that starting job. I think that we're going to see Kyle McCord transfer to another school. I, I, as a matter of fact, I hope we see if 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 CJ Stroud wins that job. I hope that we see Kyle McCord transfer to another school because I want I love to see him. these players yeah. succeed. He's Bruning, Bruning, mm-hmm. Bruning, we'll let we'll let you respond. CJ CJ Stroud allegedly getting that job. It's just logic. The same way it was logic with G with G Scott Jr. that there's not space here. I'm telling you, Matt, there's not space here. For Kyle McCord, if he loses the job this year,
0: do you work at Ohio State now? I didn't know about that. I just the one piece of inside information that got by me. Um, no, I it's April 7th, they're in spring practice right now. Yeah, I've read the same crap. CJ Stroud is taking the first reps every time they go out there. I mean, I don't care. When they announce C.J. Stroud as the starting quarterback, I'll still stand by the fact that Kyle McCord should be the starter because my faith does not shake like Felix Sharps does when he drops Zach Wilson down to three. Kyle McCord should be the starter for the Ohio State. Buckeyes. guys, I don't take anything into the fact that C.J. Stroud has been taking the reps with the ones right now. That makes sense. He was there last year. He knows the offense. Kyle McCord is still learning that. What?
2: Isn't that what I've been saying for the last six months and you told me it didn't matter?
0: It doesn't matter in the fact that he puts him like 10 steps ahead of Kyle McCord. That's what I said. He's like half a step ahead of him. I agree that he's a half a step ahead of him. But Kyle McCord's there now. He's learning. He's been doing all this stuff. We're not going to know anything, in my opinion, until we get through the fall stuff. So, no, I'm not taking it. Now, if we get to fall and they're doing their fall camp and everything, and all of a sudden CJ Stroud's taking literally every single snap with the ones— I'm still going to say the same thing, but I may not believe it as much as I believe it right now. But I, I, I don't take anything away from it right now, if I'm being honest.
1: Bruning, I'm going to point this out to you. You are taking the side of the university over the player, and and I am sitting, I am sitting here saying what's in the best interest of the player. Okay, and
0: don't, and don't get me wrong. You, don't I'll, get me wrong. I'll, I'll, if, I'll, no, no, no. If if he doesn't win the job. I don't want him to stay at Ohio State because I think he's the best quarterback in this class right now, and I expect him to succeed wherever he goes. So don't take this as a if Stroud wins the job, I want McCord to stay there and be the happy backup. No, go do you. I don't care.
1: You want, him to, to you want him to switch to tight no. end to? You, know you want what? Kyle McCord to be a, a I, will, I will
0: say this live. We're recording. You guys can timestamp this at 4-7-2021, 9-17 20, Central Time because that's really the, the time that God created. It's the only time that really matters. There you go, Du Boys. There you go, Kevin Coleman. I going to say this. I would buy a team up North Jersey if he transferred there. I would do it. That's how much I believe in him as a prospect and how much I like him. I, I, I do not care where he goes. I would be a fan. I would still be a fan. I, I don't care. It, it does not matter to me. I, I would not stay either. If he does, I'm not going to say anything about it either. But I would not sit there and be like, oh, do right by Ohio State and stay at Ohio State because you're in the back of No. Do whatever's best for you.
2: You know, we said that there were 110 or 115 or whatever schools that G. Scott could go to and be the guy. If McCord transferred, you know, we are assuming there's 127 teams. There's 120, you know, yeah, that he could go to and be the guy. Like, he's – yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I think he's better than J.J. McCarthy.
0: I'm, I agree. Well,
1: uh, it's a story we're going to track. Bruning, you're going to end up being wrong on both G. Scott and Kyle McCord, and it's we're going to see – once we get to the fall next year, all right. Um, we got a lot of stuff to get to. I mean, there's a lot of, I, in the last week since we last recorded. A lot of stuff has happened, including Bruni. I'm going to come back to you on this in the or Austin, whichever whichever one you want to take. Who wants to start with this one? Um, the Clemson spring game. I guess I'll start. Uh, I watched this game. Now, the thing that you have to understand, and I can speak to this having gone through spring practices before, is defense is always ahead. Of the offense at this time, because defense, you say set hut and you go get the ball. On offense, there's timing, there's rhythm, et cetera, et cetera, and that can be hard to create, especially with a uh, a first-time starter. It can be hard to uh, create that in in spring practices. So. Clemson's defense was very obviously ahead of their offense in this spring game. Very good. The running game was essentially non-existent except for a few Phil Maffa runs at times in the second half. Uh, Will Shipley didn't have that. Will Shipley five-star running back. I think the third or fourth running back in his class, uh, all-purpose back didn't really have a big play was used on uh, kickoff returns in this game. Um, but Bruning, Who's, Austin, I'm going to, I'm going to come to you uh, because I know that you talked about this on campus. The Um, the two players who really stood out to me were a Joe A Joe and Joe Nada. Now Joe Nada was on the roster, including DJ Uyangalele. And it seemed like every single target was going to Nada back from injury. It, he looks primed for a big season, but a, a Joe, a Joe. Now That dude is a massive human being. Um, He made a couple of plays last season, but he was being targeted heavily, scored a touchdown in this game with Tyson Pumachek, who actually went down with an Achilles injury. He's going to be gone for the season in this game, but Joe Joe was very impressive, and we didn't even see EJ Williams. If Clemson does not have a running game, and it didn't look like they had a running game with Kobe Pace, and Maffa was fine in the third quarter in Shipley. It didn't look like they had a running game, but that defensive line at Clemson is ridiculous. So maybe let's just chalk it up to that. There's going to be two or three wide receivers for Clemson that go, that go over 1,000 yards. It could be a Joe. It could be a DJ, a E.J. Williams. It could be Joe Nada. Austin, what were your takeaways from that Clemson spring game?
2: Yeah, so um, I, I like all of the receivers at Clemson. But I don't love any of the receivers at Clemson. And I do think it's a little bit of a concern. I'm sorry, Felix. I, I'm sorry. I know you just hyped them all up and then I came in in like 10 seconds and just crapped on it. Um, my problem with all the receivers there, and it's not ne- like it's the same guy. Like they just have a cloning machine in the football facility there and they just clone the same guy over and over and over again. And I think it's a prototype that it's just not necessarily always that conducive to college football and what you know a lot of these teams are running now with these smaller quicker shiftier versatile positionless guys at the position you know Clemson did have a guy like that last year in Amari Rogers and surprise surprise he was their leading receiver because that's just what seems to be working right now in college football you know 10 years from now maybe you know the, the pendulum has swung back the other direction and I just watched some of these guys from Clemson. Like, I, I like Jonata, but he's always injured. And there's always something going on with him. I think I like Adjo Adjo, but he's still really, really raw. You know, there was a play I remarked because we were in the Discord over at, at C2C. And I said, you know, wow, he's got a really nice inside release for a bigger guy. And then literally the next play, he tried a little outside release on the outside and was just blanketed. Like it, it, it was the good and the bad and literally a two play sequence. So, and actually I'm not going to lie. I know the defense, um, like you, you, everything about the defense that you just said, I, I agree with In terms of, you know, they're supposed to be ahead of the offense at this point. We're hearing a lot of spring camps are like that so far this year. I thought DJ, you looked okay. And I know they were being very conservative with him. You know, a lot of his game relies on his legs and they, he did, told him not to do that, and you know, if he got touched, he, it was a sack. So, but like, I wasn't blown away by DJU. I was a little bit. Dis- I expected a little bit more out of him while I was watching that game. So I'm, we're we're going to talk about this in a little bit. So and I might have to choose a new offense between now and then. But it would not shock me if Clemson's offense is underperforms wholesale from you know uh, from quarterback to wide receiver to running back to the line, uh, the whole way across this uh, this season. It really would not shock me
1: let me let me say this in DJU's defense. like i I wasn't looking for him to, you know, throw three or four touchdowns against that first team defense. What I was looking for is the skill set and the traits that we've actually saw last year. And he's such an easy thrower to the opposite hash. He's such an absolutely easy thrower to the opposite hash. He His arm is strong enough that he can take something off the ball when he's throwing to the opposite hash to make it easier on uh, the wide receivers because his arm is just strong enough. I mean, usually you see quarterbacks, they really have to rip it when they're making those throws. He doesn't because his arm is strong enough. And that's something that just really just stood out uh, in, in that game. And, Yes, you're right. He was just okay. It wasn't a, a great performance statistically, but that Clemson defense is really damn good. And I know we talk a lot about offense on this show because it's it, because it's a uh, because it is a uh, it's a uh, the Debbie debate. But but damn it, watch out for Brian Brzee. Brian Brzee is the next J.J. Watt in 2023. He is the next J.J. Watt. Can play inside. Can play outside. He just wrecks havoc. And then. Um, uh, <laughs> And then uh nate wiggins the freshman uh freshman athlete who's playing cornerback at uh clemson six two long can just go- essentially create a shadow over over a wide receiver that clemson defense is going to be really good and that clemson team is going to be really good yes the same one that got lit up by ohio state because you know they couldn't read ohio state's uh, uh calls this this season but um but, uh, no, that, that that defense is really good. Um, Burning, do you uh, – let's see. Is there anything else? Oh, I do want to I, – I want to make sure the audience is aware of a couple of things, like if you didn't get to watch the Clemson spring game. One is that Dabo Swinney essentially commented the entire game. Uh, Dabo Swinney said that Will Shipley was – and I'm not going to have the quote here, but essentially said that he was a more well-rounded freshman than – Travis Etienne was as a running back um, because Travis Etienne, when he came in was essentially just a runner, had to get developed in the passing game. He mentioned that Will Shipley was physically developed and was way more advanced in the passing game and I hope so quite frankly, because he didn't make any plays in the running game. The other thing I will say when at the very end of the game, when they asked you know, who stood out, um, uh, Dabo again went to the running back position but commented on Phil Maffa. Now. Phil Moffa was the only running back. I, I think that he's only the only back who got to carry like over five yards in the game. And he, he looked, I mean, for a freshman, he looked to uh, like, like, uh, like he belonged. He looked physically developed. I don't know about his speed and agility, et cetera, et cetera, but I think it was important that Dabo wanted to call him out um, at the end of the game. want to point out that Will Shipley was returning kicks in that game. So he's going to be used on, on special teams. And, um, as much I like a Joe Joe, I like him at his value, but he he move he's a lumberer. I don't know that he can play uh, wide receiver at the NFL. He could be a a, a candidate to, to transfer to tight end. A la G Scott Bruning, is there uh, anything anything that you wanted to add on Clemson before we move on?
0: Nope, didn't watch it. Right.
1: Bruning, I'm going to give this first one to you, this next topic to you first. Is that all right? And then uh, I'll follow you. Um, This is actually – this is a a serious subject. um, uh, Dan Orvlosky goes on Pat McAfee's show and essentially questions Justin Fields' work ethic, Um, that he's heard that Justin Fields is the last guy in the weight room, first guy out, those types of comments. Um, Bruning, I'll turn it over to you. You can give me your reaction. Hmm. Uh,
0: I won't go uh, as deep into it as I believe. I believe you will. Um, I'll just say we've, we've had a little bit of discussion about it. I know at least me and you have, I'm pretty sure we were doing it in the, in the group chat with Austin there as well. And I just don't understand why you'd come out and say those things and then backtrack less than 24 hours later and say, well, Hey, then I went and reached out to these two coaches and they said something different. Why didn't you do that ahead of time? What? Why is it that they're so hell-bent on, like, I don't want to say destroying, because they're not going to destroy Justin Fields' career, but, like, just putting out all these bad things on these prospects that I, I just don't think is true, and, and I hate to go this route, but me and you talked about it, and it's, you know, I, I mentioned this to you when me and you talked personally about this, was it's uncomfortable for me to say this, because I'll just be honest. If you're not watching, I'm a white male, Okay. Like most of these people who are talking all this shit about Justin Fields, who is a black male. And I've noticed that they said the same things about Dwayne Haskins. Uh, I was going to call him C.J. Cardell for some reason. Cardell Jones. And the biggest one that stood out to me was Kyler Murray two years ago, which I don't ever remember people saying that about Kyler Murray. Now, maybe I just wasn't paying attention to those people. They came out in questions. All these things were saying all the same things. And I, I see a trend here that is not okay and it doesn't make any sense and I don't know Austin I'll let you I'll ask you this before Felix comes in and gives his take was that ever thought to you that Kyler Murray didn't understand football and that he he didn't know how to read a playbook and that he was lazy and he didn't work out like did you ever hear any of that outside of these same people who are now circulating these same things about all these same quarterbacks?
2: No. And I just remember you saying that Justin Fields, um, you know, he had like his apartment and you were saying because of the COVID stuff this year, like he locked himself in oh, the apartment man. and wouldn't talk to anybody except like he, he would only met with Ryan Day, like in person. Cause he would, and he was doing all he, all he was doing was watching film like 14 hours a day. Like I, as soon yeah. as I said that, I was like, okay, like no credibility. Like,
0: no I'm, credibility. I'm glad that, that you I, brought that up so. because <laughs> I, I will say this because, because Felix mentioned it earlier and, and I joke, I don't want to say like I've insider access to, to the Ohio state Buckeyes, but I do talk to people And I showed you guys a text message about that, about what Justin Fields did every single day this past year. And Felix, you've brought it up many times. I'm sure you'll address this. I'll let you talk about the leadership thing of what he did to allow the Big Ten to play football this year. The entire year, all he did was when he went to the grocery store, he put a mask on and put a hood over his face so people wouldn't recognize him because he didn't want to stop and take pictures because he didn't want to risk getting COVID. He would go back, take tape back to his dorm room. He wouldn't go out to parties. He would do all he did was watch tape. But you're right. Last guy I am. He doesn't pay attention to tape. He doesn't work hard. Anytime he would leave his apartment, it was either to go get food or to go to the Woody and work out with just Ryan Day. He's the first guy in all time. No, I'm sorry. That's right. He's the last guy in, according to Dan It's complete and utter bullshit. And I can't can't say for sure that it is racist because I don't know Dan Orlovsky, so I can't. I I do know people are saying that. I can understand why people would say that, and I do see that part of it. I I don't feel comfortable labeling someone that way because I don't know – his true intentions behind what he said. Maybe he did really hear these things and he's just throwing them out there. And I still don't understand why you do it without double checking your facts like you did 24 hours later, but I, I just think it's wrong and, and him doing it and Charlie Casterly. Thank you, Felix for writing. Cause I couldn't remember the other guy, the way they go about some of this stuff in my opinion is just wrong. And I don't understand why, these guys say that what they're doing is not hurtful, but it is because you guys have a platform and what you say, there's a lot of people out there who don't pay this a close attention to college football, like the three of us do. And maybe some of the people who are watching this show or listening to us on the podcast version may not pay that close attention. So when you come out there say, Oh, Justin Fields is lazy and he's the last guy. That's all. Some people are going to think now moving forward. And, I just think it's wrong for you to have a platform like that and just speak, in my opinion, mistruths about people because it's something you've heard without doing without doing your due diligence on it before saying it.
1: Um, it. It would be my preference to be really polished for everything that I'm going to say. I'm not going to be able to do that, so I just want to be able to get some things out. Um, I, you know, it is racism at the very least, it's learned racism um, because this is like a trope that black quarterbacks, uh, they're they're often praised for the physical aspects of their game, but then criticized for the mental aspects of their game. And this fell within that cliche, criticizing his work ethic. Now, as a black person, you can become numb to this type of criticism because it's always there. It was there with Lamar Jackson. It was there with Kyler Murray. There's one black quarterback in the NFL Hall of Fame. That's Warren, uh, Warren Moon who couldn't even begin his career in the NFL because he allegedly couldn't play the quarterback position. Okay? And so let me get all that out. I think – so you – so, first of all, any time that there's a black quarterback, you get these that criticism and, and you're very numb to it. I wasn't numb to this one because it was so atrocious, so um, absurd of a criticism of Justin Fields. The one thing, the one thing that you cannot question about Justin Fields, and I'm not saying I know him, but I've read enough about him. We followed him since he was a senior in high school, on QB one. We've—I feel like we've known this person for the last four years at least. Is the one thing that we know about him is that his work ethic is outstanding. That you cannot question his work ethic. So for Dan Orlovsky to criticize that, it was like. Damn. Like they'll even do it to Justin Fields. They'll even do it to Justin Fields. If they'll do it to Justin Fields, then there's nobody that they'll do it, that they won't do it to. Um, this often comes from Charlie Casserly. It's, it's has a terrible record on this front. Charlie Casserly has a, a terrible record on this front. And it's 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 really offensive because I believe it's either Charlie Casterly – Was Charlie Casterly the GM of the Colts? Is he the one who drafted Peyton Manning.
0: I, be, I don't know if he drafted. He didn't draft Peyton who, Manning, but I'm pretty sure he was not No, GM that that before. was
1: Bill Polian, right?
2: Yeah, it was Polian the one that was Manning. with the Colts?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, Bill Polian. Then you often have these comments coming from Bill Polian and Charlie Castley. It's I. They're sometimes they're one and the same to me but let me go back to the point it's really offensive because i think it was polian that had chad kelly as the number one quarterback in that class whenever he came out of, out of old miss we didn't hear anything about chad kelly having work ethic problems or you know being the type of person that chad kelly was again was the number one quarterback in that uh in that class according to i believe it was bill polian you can just Google it and Bill Pulley and Chad Kelly, I believe he had him as the best quarterback in that class. So, so not accounting for the obvious mental issues in his game. So there's a problem that there's at the very least, it's subconscious rate. You could like, if, 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 if someone said something about Justin Fields worth work ethic to me, and I was on that type of platform, it would go one in ear and out the other because I, I feel like I know that it doesn't. It doesn't comport with what I know about Justin Fields. So the other issue with Dan Orlovsky's comments is how lazy it was. It's how absolutely lazy it was on that platform. And quite frankly, his comments gave me a greater um, reverence for what I'm saying on Twitter about players because it was that it was complete nonsense. It was complete nonsense and laziness for him to repeat that. People in the media hear stuff about players all the time; they don't repeat all of them. They or they double check their sources. And Dan Orlovsky isn't—I mean, he probably fashions himself as just a quarterback and not a media person. But for, but for him to repeat those comments was—it was, was learned racism, one or subconscious racism, and and it was just absolutely lazy, and the thing that made it most offensive was the platform that he used to to, to speak those comments. And so, uh, again, I just have a greater respect for what I'm saying on, on Twitter myself after he said what he said. Um,
0: you are correct, by the way. Bill Polian did come out in 2017 and say that uh, Kelly is the most talented uh, quarterback in the 2020 2017 class. He did address the off-field stuff, um, not any way in the way that they're talking about Justin Fields, but he's, he said you have he has baggage, so you know you have to get that out of the way immediately. Outside of that, he is the best quarterback talent in this NFL draft.
1: Yeah. So, um, again, I would want to be – I wish I could give you more historical Quotes on you know how this has happened to black quarterbacks since there have been black quarterbacks since they allowed black people to play the quarterback position. This has been the commentary on him. I wish I could give you that. I I can't, and I feel bad that I'm not doing that. But I just want anybody who's listening to this. I want you to know that you, you may not know that that's a thing, and it absolutely is a thing. And you should just know that if they're going to they i mean the media the collective if they're going to say that about Justin Fields then they will say that about any any it doesn't it just doesn't matter whether it's meritorious or not there those that criticism for black quarterbacks is going to come because it's absolutely not warranted for Justin Fields it's absolutely not warranted for Justin Fields this he transferred from Georgia and had Ohio State in the playoff in his first season as a starter. How can leadership be a problem for him? He he got the, the NCAA to play college football. He was the face of that. And you're questioning his work ethic and his desire for the game? Trevor Lawrence wasn't the face of that. Justin Fields was the face of that. So... Um, I, I just, I, 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 this is the last thing I'm going to, I'm going I'm to, I'm repeating things that I'm saying. I just want to repeat this one thing is that you absolutely like you, this type of thing, you, you become, I have become numb to it, but when they, but, but to say something that is the polar opposite of what I know about Justin Fields that made it that that much more offensive.
0: To to hammer home even more what you just said there, that last part, you know him him making not making but being the leader there to bring the NCAA to allow the Big Ten to play. Right, I think it's fair to say that he could have very easily opted out like everybody else and still would have been a round one draft talent. Would, would does it, do either one of you agree with that? And he just chose not to play. He still would have been a round one draft, and he still chose to play knowing all that so i agree with you and i like i said i i i apologize for that because that's something that i never paid attention to until we started talking about it like it just never really entered my mind that that was that was a running narrative and it it is it is embarrassing to to say the least
1: are we ready to take the left turn of all left turns <laughs> <laughs> let's do it <laughs> from from a serious racial discussion back to Debbie fantasy football. Austin, what's an offense getting some hype for 2021 that we think falls flat this season?
2: So I guess I kind of crapped on Clemson earlier and I used up all my time on that. So I'll I'll stay in the Carolinas though, and I'll say that UNC disappoints a little bit this year. I think that we are all projecting – any offense, and this is, I mean, this is a fairly decent bet. You know, this isn't, you know, I'm not saying anybody's foolish for for doing what I'm about to say, but anytime you get a big-time um, potential NFL quarterback on a college football team, you expect their the offense to kind of follow suit. You know, uh, it, the football more and more becomes a quarterback-driven thing, and so that's just kind of what we assume. So we have Sam Howe down at UNC, and um, they were a good offensive team last year. And so I think we're all assuming with Sam Howell getting another year under his belt there that that offense is going to continue to grow. I do not think that's the case. I'm not saying I think UNC is going to be a bad team this year because they have a I think they're going to have a good a solid defense and their defense might carry them in some games this year. But the Tar Heels lose at wide receiver. They lose two of their three starters Newsome and Daz Newsom and Deami Brown. And they both accounted for roughly 50% of their receiver production between the two of them. And then you also lose your running back duo. Uh, Both guys getting the majority of the snaps there and Michael Carter and Javante Williams. That's just a lot to have to replace in one offseason with guys that are very inexperienced. It sounds like right now at wide receiver, they're looking like it's going to be Josh Downs starting in the slot in the Daz Newsome role, which I think he's great. I think it would not shock me if he has a huge year this year. And then it sounds like De'Ami Brown's brother, uh, Caffrey, is going to be playing his same position. He gives that explosive kind of level um, to an offense. So those guys might do okay, but – I, I don't see the running backs being able to carry that off that offense like they did last year. And so I, th- I think UNC disappoints a little bit in that regard.
0: Um, mine's going to go based purely on a quarterback that I think is getting um, overhyped a little bit. And I, I don't think he's going to be able to carry the offense, even though they have a ton of talent around them. And that's USC. I, I just don't think... Overall, they've got obviously a ton of great talent at wide receiver, some interesting now moves at running back, bringing in Keontae Ingram, but I, I don't believe in Slovis being able to, to elevate that offense to the next level. So there's a, they're a team that, you know, we mentioned on the last episode with Matt Jackson about possibly being a team to have two wide receivers go over a thousand yards. I, you know, I don't expect USC to even win the Pac-12, and I, I don't. Right last year, um, based on metrics, I know they only they played six games, but they didn't finish anywhere in the top 25 in a lot of offensive categories, even when you go based on, like, just a game basis, not even going overall with all the stuff put together. Uh, and I could see them finishing right around the same thing again this year. I just I don't believe in Slovis being able to to raise the, the games of everybody around him.
1: I mean, I think the easiest answer here is Alabama. You've got Steve Sarkisian leaving. You've got uh, Bill O'Brien coming in. You've got a, so you've got a new offensive coordinator, a worse offensive coordinator. You've got a new quarterback. You've got a new offensive line. You've got, uh, uh, I mean, skill everywhere. Everywhere, new starting positions um, all over the place uh, and at the critical positions. That said, it sounds like Bryce Young, you know, absolutely lit it up on uh, in their Saturday scrimmage. Throws four touchdowns. According uh, according to reports, two of those touchdowns came against the first-team defense. So, and Javon Baker played well in that game. They've got – I mean, talk about Ohio State. Alabama's got – Th- th- three of the top 10 or 15 wide receivers including my favorite freshman of, of all of this entire class in Jojo Earl, Guy Hall and, and Jacory Brooks. I mean, they've got a really diverse skill set there, but they're going to be young. So, uh, despite, you know, what Bryce Young did at that at that uh scrimmage, I would still put Alabama up there because everything is going to be new. Speaking of Alabama, guys, um we should we? Are we ready to make the announcement?
0: Go ahead. I, I guess I'll I will go ahead and do it. Little little graphic here as you're talking. Go ahead,
1: <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen. The Debbie Debate Crew is going to be calling the Alabama Spring Game on April seventeenth at one p.m. We're going to be calling the Spring Game with a Debbie slant. So, um, it's going to be us. You can turn on the game, turn down your volume, turn us on. We're going to be calling the spring game and tell you, and, and give you, you know, our perspective as Debbie analysts. I think this is going to be a fun a fun time. We've been practicing. We've done one uh run through. We're taking this seriously. We are going to call the game, the Alabama Spring Game, on April 17th. That's next. Not this Saturday, but next Saturday at one PM. The game's going to be on ESPN, and you get the three of us calling the game. I feel like that's a relatively big deal. I mean, that's going to be fun, right? I mean, that's good. I mean, you got all you got me and and Matt who are the blowhards, and Austin's going to come in with the information. I mean, that's just like the show. So um, I'm really excited about it. I think this is going to be fun. And this is a practice run. It's going to be available to the public. We're going to do this during the regular season in 2021. And that may be available only to Campus to Canton subscribers. So join us on uh, April 17th at 1 p.m. right here. We'll post a link. You'll be able to find it. And we are calling the Alabama Spring Game. I'm Tony Romo. Maybe I don't know.
0: The brooding is Jim Nance. No, nah, I'm, I'm gonna be I, Boomer. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna be Berman. I'm just gonna come in with these weird little there sound we go. effects and everything, and we'll let we'll let Austin be the civilized gentleman coming in with all the great stats and everything.
1: Are we? Are we? I mean, we're wearing. We got. I mean, we're we're suiting and booting for this one, right? Are we? Yeah, yeah, we are.
0: We are. Okay. Yeah, we are. Okay. I guess so. We are. I would um, also say use the term practice loosely. We, yeah. you know, we've we've you know. We've done we've some work, but
1: you know we've practiced. Austin, uh, how are you feeling about about calling the game?
2: I'm really, really excited. I want to. I want to do the John Madden. I got to get a telestrator like app that I can whoa, get on, like you know, whatever. So <laughs> yeah, I there can you go. Draw, you know, phallic get objects get a, get or whatever. Get a big whiteboard and it, behind it you. Just do it. Yeah, yeah just do it so, while you're doing it. No, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and um, you know, I think this is something that. Uh, for a Devi player, I just think it's you know it's interesting to to hear the game from that perspective and less of a you know general audience perspective because they are two generally very different things.
1: Yeah. All right, uh, we have gone a little long today because we had a lot to get to. We've got one more thing to get to, Austin. I'm going to come back to you with this. A player that we a freshman quarterback that we are really excited about is Tyler Buchner. Came from La Jolla, California. LaJala, I think. I don't think I'm. Or, I. You know what? Now that I think about it, if it's, it, it's a Spanish, that would be la La-yay, la yaya. There would be no pronunciation of the L's. Anyway, um, uh, Tyler Buchner, a player that we're excited about. I am telling you folks that he is a Lamar Jackson level athlete. I don't think that that's hyperbole. Um, uh, and uh, uh, excited about him going to Notre Dame. Well, he's running with the threes. Austin, talk to talk to me about what we've seen from Tyler Buchner this spring, this spring.
2: It's the worst. And I'm going to keep this short, but I know he is a big favorite of a lot of us over at C2C here. And I think, you know, this story we knew, you know, I was actually just relistening. Someone sent me a really funny message about the time that I was on with Kevin Coleman. They, they referred to him as the guy with the beard and glasses and they couldn't remember who he was. Someone DM'd me today on Twitter. So I was going back and rewatching that show and we talked on that. That was over a month ago or about a month ago about um, how it was obvious that it was going to be Jack Tone and how Buchner was going to be sitting on the sidelines. I think the worst part is that he's running with the threes. You know, he's not even running with the twos and it just makes me, it begs the question, you know, why if you're an Uber athletic uh, offensive skill position guy, would you ever go to Notre Dame? Cause you're not going to play immediately. And like, that's what college football is nowadays. You know, it's unleash your athletes and they just don't seem to get it. You know, I, Brian Kelly doesn't get it. He'll never get it. That's why he's not a great coach. You know, Nick Saban gets it. He's, he's completely changed what Alabama's is in a three to five year span, you know, and, and Brian Kelly, just not capable. So please Notre Dame, you know, recruits, if you're out there, if you don't do that, just go somewhere else. There's plenty of other schools you can go to.
1: That is going to be our show for tonight. You can um, uh, find our written content at campusdecanton.com. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreet. We ran out of time. We will get him rescheduled soon. For Austin Nace, for Matt Bruning, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and
0: good luck. What's up, everybody? Matt here. Usually you would hear our um, exit with the college football calls and all, but as you just heard from Felix's famous tagline, that was the end of the Debbie Debate episode. You'll see that this continues going. We were able to get Bob Lung, the arbiter of all things Fantasy Expo, to join us, and we wanted to do a quick interview with him as we will be joining them as the Campus to Canton website up in Canton, Ohio, for the Fantasy Expo. We wanted to talk a little bit with him about what to expect up there and about his awesome consistency guide. So here is our interview with Bob Lung. Bob Lung joins
1: us, the coordinator of the Midwest Fantasy Expo here on the Debbie debate tonight. We're very excited to have him. Bob, we didn't get the the Expo last year uh, because of COVID-19. We've got it coming back around here uh, this August. The Campus to Canton crew will be there. We're a sponsor. We got a big table. Um, yeah. Bob, why don't you talk to us a little bit? I guess first about uh, how this event, how you got started, and and um, uh, how this event came about.
3: Well, just focusing on the event itself, um, we well, we I. Uh, no, I should say we. So, 2019, a bunch of people went to Dallas, Texas, to the what was then called the National Fantasy Football Convention that was put on by Tony Romo and had been for a couple of years. Um, they went there because they were told that you know it was a fantasy convention and it was you know show your products and all that kind of great stuff. But what happened was they got there and it was really what. They have changed it to, it's a sports con. It's a place where you go and you meet people and you get autographs and you, that's really what it's all about. And there was very little about the fantasy and they were charged a lot of money to get boosts boost. Um, and they felt like it was a complete waste of time, money, and energy. And so basically this was, oh, May, June-ish, May, May, late May, early june in 2019 and you know I heard a lot of people complaining about this and it's always been kind of my dream as somebody who lives in Canton, Ohio and has all his life um in his 5 minutes from the Pro Football Hall of Fame and sees it every day when he drives to work um that there should be a weekend in Canton that fantasy football should have um we have the Hall of Fame weekend which is called football's greatest weekend and my dream was, why can't we have fantasy football's greatest weekend the week after? And my goal was to have a Saturday event that would be the best got, best experts in the nation competing head-to-head in fantasy draft, both an auction and a snake draft. That started and happened four years ago as the Kings Classic, which I have my shirt on from this past year um and we that's exactly what it is we have the best we have you know yahoo espn cbs uh bob um, football diehards fantasy alarm um guru elite i mean if you name a big site they're there and so i got the top 28 in the country we had this in 2017 was our first year um and we got, and we're, we do it live in the Gold Jacket Lounge at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, SiriusXM comes in from New York City and does a live broadcast of the drafts for six hours. Um, and that kicked off the Saturday idea. Then hearing about the need almost for a, 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 a national fantasy football expo convention, whatever you want to call it, but on a much smaller scale to start. And I said, hey, why don't we just make that Sunday, the day after the King's Classic, the Expo Day, and then everybody all just come in for one big weekend. And that started 2019. So I literally threw it together in like two months. But we did sell out all the booths. We didn't have the attendance from the attendees outside world came in as much as I wanted. But it was a really nice start. I learned a lot of things to improve on, a lot of things to do better, uh, things that we just completely took out that we did the first year and. Didn't work. Obviously, it was big plans for 2020 that didn't happen. So now here's 2021, um, and it's just been uh, uh, unbelievable. I mean, I, I if I if somebody would have said, "Hey, what are you expecting? Like in the first three weeks to the month after you release this drop, you know, drop this new website and the date on it, what do you think is going to happen?" I would have said, "Oh, well, you know, maybe we'll get you know." 10 or 20 people to sign up to come and get tickets and maybe we'll sell a few booths and, you know, we'll sell the booths at some point, but, and it just, phew. the next thing you know, we're past 50% of the booths sold. we sold out the sponsorships. You guys jumped in to take one of the VIP sponsors. I mean, those went like that. I mean, it was just like, wait a minute, they're all gone, you know? Um, but we got more sponsors and, and it's just been amazing how the community has jumped in to help me with ideas. So fantasy affair guys said, hey, how about if we sponsor the party? And then all of a sudden the draft night out guy said, hey, what if we do a draft on Saturday during the day? Because not everybody's going to be in the King's Classic and these guys would need things to do other than tour the hall. And so they they're now they're doing that part. And we got the big party on Saturday night. And um, you know, then John Lobb jumps in and says, hey, how about if I put together the first ever college fantasy football King's classic? Fine. Perfect. So, yeah, it's, you know, the community is amazing. I've been in this world for 20 years. And so um, it really is, you know, people are like, Oh, thank you for thanking me for putting it together and doing all the work. And it's like, yeah, okay. I, I, you know, maybe I've done some certainly organizing it, but just having everybody kind of step up and come up with ideas to make it better and come up with thoughts and, you know, because I'm not a canned program. I'm not a, you have to do it this way. This is the only way we're going to do it. It's what can we do to make it exciting and fun and and worth the people to fly in. And we got people coming in from Hawaii, Florida, Texas. You guys are, some of you guys are coming from Michigan, um, you know, Maine, uh, yeah, we're all over the country. And that to me is just amazing. And again, we're only one month. We're not even one full month into the release day. We came out with this, the release date was, uh, March 13th. We're having a month in, and we're already, you know, doing an amazing job of, of people coming in. So again, I think you guys for stepping up and being one of the VIPs and being a part of this. And, you know, again, the idea is this to grow into being a part of the whole hall of fame village. I've already spoken to the, the new vice president of events for the hall of fame village for the upcoming years, shared my thoughts, my dreams, and he is all the more. and he can't wait to bring it to the village and expand it. And we're already talking about next year's party being in the loge at the end of the stadium, in the stadium, at the end of the stadium. And during the party, people can go out and play football on the field and kick field goals and, you know, just, just have a blast and, you know, just really do more, you know, just lots of fun and unique things. So that's, that's the whole kind of thing I kind of came up with because, you know, I just felt like. Candle Ohio is a perfect place to do this. Why would you not? I mean, cause you can come in toward the hall, heck the rock hall of fame, hall of fame is only an hour away. If you're really, if you're in the music too, um, you can spend a full weekend and not be bored and that's what it's all about. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, awesome. awesome. that's really awesome. <clears throat> I'm, I'm anticipating,
2: uh, a lot of Lucy and Charlie Brown type uh, shenanigans with uh, with the party out on the football field. Yeah, there could get ugly. Alcohol football.
3: And, and football is being thrown
2: around. There could be a lot of injuries. Yeah, yeah, they don't always mix. Um, yeah. So it sounds like, you know, this has kind of just grown exponentially and beyond maybe even what you thought it would uh, to start off here.
0: Yeah. Is there
2: something in particular this year that you're really looking forward to? Or maybe, you know, even beyond this year? I mean, you were just telling us a little bit about some of the stuff that you guys have planned for for the future
3: well i mean again it's already exceeded my expectations because i didn't expect to have somebody want to sponsor the party i did not know that the fantasy affair guys are former you know are, are, are professional bartenders and competitive bartenders so brian these guys actually compete in competitions i'm thinking like the cocktail movie with tom cruise um and so you know they have contacts where with cigar vendors and alcohol vendors and we're gonna have special drink prices and and cool unique things going on at the party we haven't even announced because we want to make it a surprise so um you know it's it's a pretty decent sized bar slash restaurant there at the hotel uh, and that's what's nice is nobody has to drive um there's a nice outside area so you can smoke cigars we're right at the front of the hotel so we can even stand right out in the you know main not parking lot. It's kind of a, a drive through um, drive up thing, but plenty of room for people to move around. Big lobby. Um, you know, I think the, the, the most difficult part of the night is going to be when they say we have to stop. Because <laughs> when they say, hey, it's midnight, we gotta shut it down. We're gonna like, no, that's not happening. <laughs>
1: Bob, you mentioned some things that you've changed uh, since 2019 with the event. What's what's one thing that you have learned to up up to this point? Well,
3: hmm. you know, one of the first things I did was um, when I created it in 2019, I called it the Midwest Fantasy Football Expo because, again, the sports con thing was still kind of happening. And I felt like, okay, I'm just going to call make it a local thing. It's the Midwest one. <laughs> Well, SportsCon obviously didn't happen this past year. And when I really thought about it, there isn't really a fantasy football expo like this. So I took the Midwest out and it's now just called the FantasyFootballExpo.com because the whole nation's invited. And, you know, and the idea is to grow this and we want this to be the only fantasy football expo people even think about. You know, now if somebody else wants to do it, Tony Romo wants to compete with me. That's fine. That's Tony Roma's job. You know, I don't care. Uh, but, um, but, you know, the whole idea was to provide a time, you know, and a scenario where we could all get together, but we could afford to do it, too. I mean, I know, like you said, the, the sports con, I think the cheapest booth was like, I don't know, $500, $1,000 just for the cheapest booth in the back. If you wanted a good one, you would have to spend like $2,500 just to get a booth. So that's not even the sponsorships. I can, I'm sure those were in the tens of thousands. So, you know, our community is not built this way. 99% of us do this as a side gig, you know, where it's not a full-time job for us. So, you know, we don't have tons of money to throw at this, like it's a business. Um, so I wanted it to be reasonably priced so that it could be affordable, you know, cover my costs, you know, make sure that, um, you know, everybody could enjoy it, have fun. Um, but not worry about, oh, I can't afford to go because it's just too expensive. Um, so like I said, getting rid of the name and making this into a nat- the truly national, um, was the big thing, um, and making a full weekend out of it. So the first time we did this, um, it was about just coming to the expo on Sunday. Um, Now, the King's Classic was going on, but I really didn't put the two together at that point. Now, we did have this big get-together at BW3s in 2019 that everybody still talks about, where there was about 70 or 80 of us just jam-packed the back of a BW3s up there um, and hung out for probably four or five hours from like six to 11. Um, And it was just amazing um, because what I think a lot of people found out that I already knew is that these big boys and girls that are, you know, I call them the RB ones and we're like the RB twos and threes. They don't have egos. If you want to talk to them and chat with them and ask them, you know, Hey, how did you get started? How do you do this? What do you think about this player? They chat with you. Like we're chatting right now. There's no, you know, whether it's Mike Clay, Brad Evans, Andy Behrens, Dave Richards, Bob Harris doesn't matter. All of them will take the time to talk to you, listen to you, um, you know, and, and that's what everybody, the people, people have still reached out to me two years later and said, Bob, it's amazing to me now how, when I sat there and, you know, somebody taught, said they talked with like a Mike Clay there and he said, and I asked him if he would mind coming on a podcast, one of my podcasts. And he goes, and I no, but, you know, he's like, I'm nobody. And Mike's like, yeah, just, you know, as long as I can fit in my schedule, sure. And he goes, I would have never in my wildest dreams thought about even emailing or asking Mike Clay to be on my podcast. And yet here they're doing it. And and, and a lot of these guys have done this for a lot of people. And I think that's what's so cool about it is that you, you we walked away um, an even better community after 2019 and. Um, and knowing that we're all in this together and we're all trying to do the right thing and try to create new ideas, new ways to, you know, um, promote and and, and uh, provide expertise to the users that, that want to hear from us. And whether it's, you know, the Debbie type stuff like you guys do or my consistency stuff like I do, um, we all have different ideas and different ways of presenting it. And that's what's great. And we're all doing, we're all talking about the same thing. We're just doing it in different ways or presenting it in, in, a, in a different light. Um, and that's what makes us different. And that's what makes us special. And that's what makes us fun. So, you,
1: you know, I, I think I've seen during the pandemic, more of the folks that do this full time for the, you know, ESPN or CBS, right. um, them appearing on more uh, of the smaller podcasts. Uh, and that, that's probably something that the Expo has had a role Uh, in doing and just making the community a smaller one from the top to the bottom. So uh, I know that I'm looking forward to it in August. Um, Bruno, you got any questions for, about the, the, the expo itself? I know you want to talk to Bob about the, uh, the consistency guide.
0: What's uh, I know you talked about? Obviously, other thing that everything that's expanding now onto the weekend. Like I know we we've seen a lot of this stuff coming out. What's going on Friday, Saturday, Sunday? What's with one of the newer events going on? What's that one thing new event that you're looking forward to the most that weekend?
3: I'd be lying if I didn't say it was a party because I'm, I'm kind of, I like the party. Um, you know, I'm old, so I don't get out much. Um, so being able to, um, but you know. I really don't, I mean, mean, again, the party is going to be super cool, but I think it's just amazing that these guys have all come up with their own ideas and presented them to me of like, Hey, can we try this? And I'm like, of course, you know, and the great thing that both, you know, that John Lobb and the the draft night guys did, um, you know, is gave something else for people to do that Saturday afternoon who are not in the King's classic um, and, it, and based on what you're into what you like you know what you like you like so if you're a college football person you know you might stick around and go and watch the guys do their college football draft from like uh, 10 to whatever 10 to two or whatever they're doing you know but if you you know if you wanted to come to town and want a draft which you know a lot of people like to do that time of year, uh, and try out their expertise and, and do that kind of stuff. The draft night out or I'll call it draft afternoon out, um, you know, is right down the street. It's two blocks, two, three blocks away from the hotel. It's in a place called the can brewing company, which is a really cool brewery uh, brewery there. Uh, they've got this huge basement. They're easily going to be able to fit six, seven leagues. Like, so 85 people or 84 people in there uh, to do that. Um, and I think that's, you know, I'm looking forward to all of it. I won't be able to attend all of it because I have to do my thing at the hall, but just having something for people to do and being entertained um, and not be bored. I mean, and I kind of, I'm excited that people came up with those ideas because I would never have thought of that because I don't do college football. I don't, you know. Um, so that was, I think it's great that they come up with it. And hopefully, you know, next year, then, maybe with something else. The problem is we only have so much time of the day. Heck, there was talk about uh, a seven on seven flag football tournament uh, going on until the, uh, until the uh, draft night out thing came about. Uh, and I think a bunch of guys were talking about doing something like that. Hey, that's still, up, you know, that's still potential. I mean, they have fields right beside the hall that you can go and play on. So um, there may be just some guys that decide to do that, 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 that afternoon on Saturday, instead of doing whatever else. So, um, you know, again, somebody who's been—I've been involved as an enshrinee a, 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 a driver for the Pro Football Hall of Fame weekend for 30 years now, and you know, so I've been on the inside and I see how they do it and how there's always something going on, and but there's actually multiple things going on. So it, it didn't, you know, so if you like this, you can go do that, but you know, some people don't like this, so they go over here. So you know, there's just stuff everywhere to do, and so kind of took some thought processes from watching that every year when I'm driving, you and know, my guys around um, and, you know, I'll do it again this year. I have John Lynch um, for hall of fame weekend. And so we'll see, you know, what the hall of fame comes up with, but it's just cool now that they're finally kind of working with me and understanding what I've been trying to do. This is literally taking 10 years for me to get them in, in get into their heads that fantasy football is a big deal because they used to look at me and go, yeah, that's cute. We've heard about it literally that'd be their phrase and i'm like you, you know 50 million 60 million people play this right yeah yeah yeah. i know but yeah, my husband does it i think it's dumb you know or you know and, and again i'm not trying to be sexist but a lot of the event people were women who didn't play and their husbands played, and they thought it was dumb so why would they want a fantasy football convention to come to a, to um but you know now people realize the nfl accepted it as a big deal so I think they all kind of get it now and so it's now it's cool to be able to do that and, and bring that to you know my city my town that i've lived here with so kind of cool and i love the fact that you guys were campus to can i was like wait a minute hey can yeah, i know that town
0: all right so some of the stuff uh, i was looking at I've, I've gotten the consistency guide the past couple years uh, we've had you okay. on the on the roundtable show obviously with me and dennis i think the past right. at least two years in a row maybe even mm-hmm. uh I don't know if we had you on three years ago, but I know we've had you on the past two years. Uh, so, some of the terms that always stuck out to me, and I, I'd love to get your thoughts on it, are what a, the key terms centered around being clutch. You say uh, has a clutch game, clutch factor, and clutch rate. How, how do players earn that, and then what? And how is that process different to running backs, wide receivers compared to quarterbacks? So,
3: how it's kind of calculated is it is what a player would need to get fantasy points wise on a weekly basis to basically be listed as a starter on your fantasy team so you could say it's always the top 12 quarterbacks but the the calculation will sometimes allow 14 or 15 quarterbacks for that week sometimes it's only nine sometimes you know so it fluctuates but so 12 quarterbacks 24 running backs 36 wide receivers and 12 tight ends um on an average basis, you can. it's pretty much if a quarterback gets over about 20 to 21 points in a regular four-point passing touchdown, uh, PPR scoring, running backs are about 11, wide receivers are around 11 to 12, and tight ends are around 8 to 9. They get over that. Every week they get over that, they earn what's called a clutch game. I used to call it a consistent game, but consistent is long to type out all the time. So I shorten it to clutch. That's the only reason I changed it, it was too much writing, too much too many letters. Um, but it was kind of the same concept. So they earned a clutch game. The more clutch games they earn, the more consistent they are. So a perfect season would be, you know, they were over that clutch factor um, all 16 games, and they were 100 consistent. Um, you know, obviously they want you want them to score a lot of fantasy points too. You don't just you know somebody who just scores 12 points every week, maybe 100 consistent but they're not as great as somebody that averages 20 points a week and is 75% consistent, if you if it makes sense. Um, so, you know, I, there's also a, con, a calculation called the X consistency, which is kind of like XERA in baseball, where kind of takes the consistency numbers and your average points per games and gives you a little bit more fine tune numbers. So it helps kind of separate players as well. Um, and so, yeah, that's what those kind of three factors all kind of come about. The idea was to make it simple so that, you know, you can look at one number for each player to know their consistency. And obviously closer to 100%, the better, the more consistent they are. So that's how it came about there.
0: Uh, so I want to ask you uh, some quarterback questions here. So Lamar Jackson shocked the world a couple years ago and then struggled at times last year. How do you have him projected moving forward?
3: Well, you know, obviously he's a little bit farther down. He didn't have the year. Um, and I think we all expected some regression. I think we were a little bit disappointed. I know his consistency factor this year was only about 69%. Um, so obviously nowhere near the 93% he was two years ago. Um, but, you know, teams figured him out. The running game wasn't as strong. They struggled with Mark Ingram and Dobbins. And I mean, I think a lot of teams really just figured out there was a better way to stop him. Um, he did really well against the last six games because they were playing some really bad defenses. Um, so, you know, they didn't have as good a record, so they'll be playing a little bit lesser defenses, a little bit easier schedule this year. So I expect him to get back up in that probably 70, 75% range. Um, I don't know if he's going to get back in that 93 range from two years ago, but I think he'll definitely be up there and definitely would be a good value this year because now he's a little bit underrated. Oops, wrong button.
0: Right. Um, so while you're going through your process for the quarterbacks, who's uh, who's the quarterback that surprised you? That's come out obviously showing very consistent. and Who's the one uh, on the good side and who surprised you on the bad side? All
3: right. Well, that means I got to get glasses on because I'm yeah. old. Um, all right. So I think some the, – the, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't say – I mean, I think we all agree he surprised us. But let's, 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 let's really look at the elephant in the room and talk about Aaron Rodgers. Two years ago, he was 38% consistent. We pretty much had him washed up as being done. He was old. We were, we were done. And he turns around and comes and pops off. You know, he's third in total points, second in consistency at 88%. I mean, the only person to beating him was Patrick Mahomes. So you know, that was, I think, a huge surprise. Um, Russell or uh, Justin Herbert was obviously a big surprise as a rookie. Very few rookies, especially quarterbacks, earn over a sixty percent consistency in their rookie season. Herbert was sixty-seven percent. That's only we've only had nine quarterbacks since two thousand and ten that have done that um, awesome. in their in their first year. So that's pretty impressive. Um, so those are, those are my you know from a bad standpoint. I mean, probably the ones that were the most disappointing, I would say, would be the people like Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz um you know jared goff but all of them were much higher the year before and and dropped down you know i mean wentz obviously looked like a total train wreck um hopefully he'll do a little bit better in indianapolis with a better offensive line better team around him but you know that was definitely um the you know some 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 goods and some bads on the consistency scenario for those guys Interesting. Um, So
2: Matt gave me a list of questions here to ask, but I'm going to—I'm not going to ask. I'm going to ask something different than what he gave me because he's not here and he can't yell at me. Um, So, uh, so I—he running backs. Are running backs as a whole? You were just talking about Justin Herbert, and it kind of raised Mm -hmm. the question in my mind. Do running backs as rookies tend to be the ones that can be the most consistent of all the positions? And um if so like who what was justin um or james robinson really consistent last year was he a guy that did pretty well in your yeah
3: yeah so i do an article every year because one of the questions i get in every podcast when the book comes out is you know well i noticed you don't have any player profiles for rookies i'm like well yeah because they haven't proved anything um but i do an article every year because that was the question well what about the rookies what about the rookies so I did this whole scenario and it's on, you can go to my uh, big guy fantasy sports website and see it there. Um, it's always in the guide as well. But basically here's what I did. So since 2010, um, which is when I started tracking all this, there have been, and I don't I'll, I'll pull up the article while I'm trying to talk, but there have been about 400 and some total players picked in, um, the first four rounds, and I'm talking quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, etc. I would probably be easier if I just went to the website and looked myself. Um, and so my goal was okay, sixty percent consistency is solid. It's not great, but for a rookie, that would be a good start to their initial season. And I wanted to see okay, how many rookies in their first year have produced over 60% consistency and played at least 10 games. You know, obviously, they just went out and played three games. That wouldn't work. So, okay, I got my numbers up. So, since 2010, there have been 476 players drafted quarterback, running back, tight end, wide receiver. Of those 476, only 42 of them have earned over 60% in their rookie season. Therefore, that's about 8.2%, 8.82%. So, let's say 9%. So that means 91% of those rookies drafted in the first four rounds by those in those positions did not earn over 60%. Now, to your point, though, and where I was leading to this was, of uh, the positions, 16% of the running backs, which is the highest by almost twice, were very good and have done a very good job of getting over 60% in their first years. And, yes, Robinson obviously was one of those – Uh, uh, Robinson. Yeah. James Robinson would have been one of those guys um, last year as well. Um, Like you said, big year for him um, and did a nice job. But, you know, in addition to that, um, so did Clyde Edward Hilaire. So DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor. Um, So they all did very good. The interesting thing, and I'll kind of expand a little bit on this. Well, we'll I'm sure we're going to get the wide receivers, but let me expand on this for the rookie scenario there are a lot of guys who had a great over 60% first year, but then did not hold strong to that consistency. So for every Christian McCaffrey and Kareem Hunt uh, and, you know, um, Alvin Kamara, there are guys like Eddie Lacey, Alfred Morris, Trent Richardson, uh, Zach Stacey, um, you know, so, some, a lot of those guys have fallen off. Now, under the wide receiver position, every single one of the guys who went over 60% in their rookie year have maintained over 60% since then. So this list is Beckham Jr., Thomas, A.J. Green, Julio Jones, Keenan Allen, D.K. Metcalf, uh, Schuster, um, Justin Jefferson Justin is a new, Cooper Cup, Mike Evans, Allen Robinson. So... All of those guys have stayed consistent moving forward. So they're, they're definitely one of those. So when I see one of those guys hit that, like this past year, we had, um, who do we have? I went to the wrong paragraph. We had um, Brandon Ayuk and Justin Jefferson both went over. Then I automatically kind of keep them up in the rankings heading into the next year, because at this point, nobody has dropped off drastically. Now, Ayuk scares me a little bit because he got a lot of opportunities because of a lot of injuries in San Francisco. Uh, Justin Jefferson, though, no, he's 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 going to be up there. Uh, he's definitely already highly ranked in my my numbers for the guide coming out this year. But that's kind of how I look at rookies. Um, you know, everybody thinks I hate them. I don't hate them. I just have ninety one percent of them that don't are over sixty percent. And yet, you'll see people draft them way too high in redraft leagues, and they go, mm, okay, you know. The, Chance you take, but, you know, um, so that's kind of my whole thing on the rookies.
1: Bob, I want to thank you for, uh, for joining us tonight. we got to run to get ready for our 930 show, gotcha. the Fantasy Football Ex- Expo. It's going to be uh, the expo itself Sunday, August 15th. There's stuff going on all, all oh, that weekend, the 13th, the 14th, with the Kings Classic and the college football draft. Campus DeCant will be there. We hope that we that you are there also to meet with us. Bob, uh, find Bob at Bob underscore Lung on Twitter. Bob, thank you for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to meeting everybody
0: uh, in August. And when does, uh, when does the consistency guy drop for everybody? Consistency
3: guy will probably drop, usually it's May 1st. But this year the draft actually is still going on on May first,
0: yeah, yeah. so we're gonna have to
3: postpone it a week. So we'll do it around May eighth. I usually have it all done and then kind of make some last minute adjustments for where the rookies go and how they could impact some other guys' you know stuff. But it'll it should be out then in that second weekend in in May. So like around May's eighth. So, all right. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Today.
1: Thank you, Bob. All
3: right. Yep.
0: Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State National Champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42-20. to Here's Tua, stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama! Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama! And the Crimson Tide has once again
1: ascended to the top of the College Football Mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap rolls right. Looks at the end
3: goal. Hunter inbound. Cut it. Touchdown. 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro and Clipson grabs a 34-31 lead and is
1: one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there, it is Ranger, And he's up to the races, nobody will catch him!